This is Africa Emerging Podcast with your host, Tutu Adamola. We're set to showcase the unique contributions of influential Africans living in the developed economies who, against all odds, have made indelible marks in their respective professions around the world. Join me as we shape this new narrative. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of the Africa Emerging Podcast. My guest on the show today is Dr. Femi Sane. Dr. Sane is a consultant psychiatric here in the United Kingdom and also the founder Steno Memorial Foundation. In this episode of the show, we talked about his education background, relocating to the United Kingdom and working in the medical profession. He gave an insight into the typical workday of a medical doctor with specialty in dealing with psychiatric issues. We talked about the importance of taking care of our mental health, same way we take care of our physical well-being. We also talked about the benefits of having an open and honest conversation about mental health issues. In addition to that, we talked about the great work himself and his team are doing with Steno Memorial. We deep dive into the story behind Steno Memorial and the many lives the foundation have touched providing free medical outreach, surgery, and mentorship for schools. In addition to the charity work he's doing with Steno Memorial, we also talked about the collaboration with other professionals to help this become a reality. It was such an interesting conversation, displaying genuine passion to touch lives in a positive way. I really enjoyed the conversation. He is such an inspiration. I hope you enjoy it like I did. Also, thank you to my dear friend, Dr. Shade Ogundare, for introducing me to Dr. Sane. Without her, the interview might not have been possible. I also would like to dedicate this episode of the show to my dear brother-in-law, Kayode Ademola, who recently passed away and unfortunately has become one of the statistics due to the challenges we face with our healthcare services on the continent. We definitely need more collaboration to get the system working. Thank you, Dr. Cerny, for joining on Africa Emerging today. It's a great pleasure to have you here on board. My pleasure as well. Thank you very much for having me in this program. Thank you. That's right. So who is Dr. Cerny? Obviously, from your name, I know you're a medical doctor. Are you one of those growing up that dad, mom said, oh, yeah, spotted that talent in you and you should go study medicine. So how did you end up, you know, being a doctor? Yeah, um, my name, for my name is Olufemi Sonny. So I'm a Nigerian from Ogun State. And I actually studied in Nigeria before I came to the United Kingdom to do my postgraduate. And then uh, coming back to your question, I've always wanted to study medicine since being very young. And obviously, you know how it is in Nigeria. We have to go through the process of doing the age paint admission matriculation bodies I'm called jam. I started from University of Agriculture Victor UNAB mm-hmm. for about two years before I eventually got to University of Ibadan to study medicine. Yeah. I finished from University College Hospital UCH in Ibadan. Then from there I went to a University Teaching Hospital in Lagos State, University Teaching Hospital. I did my the compulsory twelve month there. Mm-hmm. Following that 
some of us are a bit old and <laughs> we couldn't serve. So I got an exemption, then I came to United Kingdom. I, I, first of all, I think I went to Republic of Ireland. I okay. stayed a bit there for a couple of months, yeah, in pursuit of my postgraduate uh, career. I wanted to do psychiatry, so I stayed there for a couple of months. Then we had to do some exams. Uh, we had to stay because it wasn't well structured at that time. You wait for exams to come and your name to come on the list. So while waiting, I decided to go back to Nigeria and I did a bit of what we call general practice, just being a hospital doctor in somewhere in Satellite Town. And then later, I was able to come to the United Kingdom where I started my career in psychiatry. Okay. Uh, initially, I started in East London. From there on, I moved to northwest of England. Been around northwest of England in very down southward, some of this area, maybe you know them. Liverpool, Manchester. Yeah. And uh, Greater Manchester, I've worked a lot around in Greater Manchester mental health services. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you going into that specific part of the industry, psychiatric, yeah. Yeah. Was, was there any specific reason why, you know, you did go into that? Or was there any striking thing that made you go into that? Uh, it's interesting because when I was doing my posting in Luth University Teaching Hospital in Diyarabha, I, I did, a, you, you have a major area of medicine where you do your housemanship, but then you can do subspecialty. So I did psychiatry then. Also during our posting, in our, post, in our undergraduate, I can remember that it was actually psychiatry that I was the, the group rep at that time. And I, was, I did very well, so I got interested in psychiatry. And so I've always said, well, if I have a chance to go abroad, that's what I want to do. Okay, okay, cool. And you know, you, with your experience first um, back home bef- yeah. and also before you relocating here, mm. what, what do you think about people's acceptance or understanding about psychiatric issue? Because when I think back home, when I was still living back home, it's a, mm-hmm. big, it's a thing of a big stigma if mm-hmm. in a family or, you know, back in the African continent say, or oh, someone is got like a psychiatric problem. It's like you, you've been, there's a witchcraft or something is wrong mm-hmm. with you. But mm-hmm. coming here, I did realize that several things can trigger that. So what, what, is, right. your ta- what is your take on that? That's true. Yeah, like you said, we have a lot of problems in terms of people understanding around mental health. And then when I was in Nigeria as well, in our posting, we saw how people have been treated and how people have been managed. And you can appreciate the fact that some people don't even believe in the existence of that part of mental health disorders. They don't believe that people can be unwell mentally and probably they've been, it's a voodoo thing, like you said, or maybe they've been cost more over time and being here and being exposed and also with the work we're doing uh, with Steno Memorial Foundation, I've been able to go back home and provide some education to our people as well, and also try to talk about mental health in a very hopeful and honest way to the people, and let people appreciate that uh, there is no me- health without mental health. It's just like any physical health condition. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at my own specialty where I work, which is the uh, liaison psychiatry. Is, is like interface between physical and psychological health problems. So 
like you said, people can have a lot of things, even physical health problems that can trigger a psychiatric disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those psychiatric disorders can be treated just like the way you can treat a physical health problems. Absolutely. So I think it's, it's the fact that our people need to, we need to continually educate our people and let them understand that understanding and accepting the fact that people can be unwell mentally is very important in getting adequate care that they deserve. Absolutely, absolutely. So currently you work as a consultant psychiatric with the NHS here in the United Kingdom. That's what is your typical day like? To be honest with you, it's interesting because when I go to work, I don't know what might come through the door, you know, mm-hmm. because I work in a very big hospital and I work with a team of uh, doctors and nurses and mental health practitioners. And we is a, like I said earlier, we're liaisons, psychiatrists, so we're based in the hospital. But what we do is we see people that come into the hospital for physical health problem, but they have uh, they can come with a physical health problem, but then ended up having mental health problem, or they might have underlying mental health problem, but they've come because they have other physical health condition, but their mental health will deteriorate. So we have to make sure that we work together with our colleagues in, in the other area of the hospital to make sure that they are cared for in a holistic way. So people can come into our patient clinic for follow-up and they can develop some symptoms that need to be looked at from our side. Mm-hmm. So we get a referral and we can see them. Mm-hmm. Some people might come through any yeah. and they're very unwell, accident and emergency. Yeah. And they need they need prompt assessment and care. And they can get from there admitted onto the inpatient wards and we might go and see them there and then provide care for them there. So we can we know that we're providing care for everybody that comes into the hospital, but we don't know how the day might be. But we're always prepared to make sure that we provide the absolute care that people deserve. Exactly. You you know, one thing that just struck my mind when, when, uh, as you're talking now, because yeah. sometimes I, I tend to look at doctors and say, well, doctors, they're normal human beings like everyone. How, as a medical doctor, do you, I don't know, do you feel where somebody, you have a patient, you're taking care of that patient, they, they've got like a psychiatric issue and um, you're trying to provide that care for them. Do you have some kind of emotions to say, you know, the way, I don't know, sometimes just with doctors, how are you able to cope looking at your patient and say, maybe that person, because of the issue they've got, they can't really think themselves, they can't do things themselves. Do you feel sometimes, you know, emotional about their situation? Like, like every other human being, we have our own emotions as well. But you always show empathy. You always support your patient. You always let them have that trust that they care. Because the the care is in your hand, so they have to feel confident and they can see that from your predisposition to them. They can see that from the way you talk to them, the way you engage them, the way you explain to them, and also the way you carry their loved one along with their care. Because sometimes when people come in, they are not aware, they're oblivious of what's going on around them Mm -hmm. because of the psychological disturbances, but when you have loved ones that are there, that they are familiar with, they are comfortable with their presence, 
and the loved one I've been told what's going on and they reassure them that that person will get better. Mm-hmm. Looking at that, their loved one and they, they can't see any maybe apprehension or them being agitated or being anxious, it will obviously make the patient feel calm as well, yeah. that maybe everything is going to be all right, even though they can't really say it or have that conversation at that time, but they can see the body language of everybody around them, that nobody's panicking, everybody seems to be calm and able to do what they want to do for them. So they will, that will help the patient. But you know, from our own perspective, you don't get too much involved because otherwise certain decisions you might not be able to make them. And that's yeah. why yeah, that's yeah. why every doctor's I know advice to treat their loved one. You can't treat your own family, immediate family. You can't treat your son or daughter because obviously certain decisions you might be thinking of more of the side effect than the therapeutic mm-hmm. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. When we were talking earlier on, you mentioned about Steno Memorial. So what yeah. is Steno Memorial and what, what, what is it about? Right, so Steno Memorial Foundation is a charitable organization that I founded in 2011 following the demise of my brother. Oh. Um, basically, I decided in 2009-10 that... I, I would like to be giving back. I want to go back home in Nigeria and just help people through knowledge that I've been able to gain here and talk to my friends and colleagues, how we can use that to provide free charitable work. And then had people that were happy with the idea that they bought into it and they, we, we decided to organize and the first ever. Well, we, we tagged that as just health awareness program. That's what we called it because I didn't have the intention of having a foundation, to be honest. I just want to do a charity work. And you don't have to have a foundation, what we call an NGO, to do a charity charity work, to be honest. So we've planned it at Bomaticket three days before the event, which was in January 2011, on the 29th January. That was the day we did the event. Three days before, my brother had an accident and he passed away. Wow. That was um, very shocked for the family and myself. So I go home. But I have a very supportive family. I always discuss my mom, especially because my father's passed away. Mm-hmm. And my mom said it was okay to do it at that time. So obviously, when that happened, my, my brother died. I thought we have to revisit. Maybe it's something I have to cancel. But my family, my sisters and brothers says, they decided that we should carry on with it. So I decided to do that. The very first one in memory of my brother. Yeah. So he's the Steno is just a nickname, but people know him as Steno more than his own first name. So that's why uh, six months down the line, then July 2011, I registered Steno Memorial Foundation in, in Nigeria. And since we started Steno Memorial Foundation since 2011, we've been able to do work in the area of health and education. So what we do is we organize medical outreaches mm-hmm. and we also do educational support services for mostly in secondary schools. So we go to secondary school. We have teachers that are very committed to the course as well, uh, principals. So they go with us. We talk to the students in, in terms of encouraging them to remain in school because we have a lot of young ones now that are dropping out of school. Yeah. We're telling them the 
benefits of education, at least have that uh, secondary education. And we also try to organize quiz competition, which I started in my local government in Ogo State. We picked that up. We went from my local government, we went to the sixth local government, which is the Jebu Zone. Then from there, we've, we're now doing it in the, on the state level now. Okay. And we've had a state level three times now. So, and with the health program, which we've done a lot of work as well, because we've been able to, I, I can say maybe since 2011, about 15 medical outreaches now. Wow. And then we're then following that uh, with conversation and engagement with my colleagues that are back home. So some of them is a surgeon, obviously. So I spoke to one of them and he agreed he is a orthopedic surgeon. So he agreed for us to work together. He has a specialist hospital clinic. Mm-hmm. So we started in 2016. Yeah. We started doing free surgery for people. So nobody pay anything. You just walk. We, you, you, we, we go to the, the general hospital in Ugo State around the Jebu area. Yeah. In Jebu land. Yeah. We, we tell them to tell the patient to come to the, it's a private hospital that he has. Okay. So they go there, they would do screening and then, then we operate on the, on cases. So when we started with the 35 in 2006, that's fantastic. 2016. Wow. In 2017, we did 52. That is fantastic. 52, and, uh, 52 surgeries free of charge. Free of charge. You don't pay anything. You don't You don't even pay for a card. Admission, uh, because some of the people that we operated and they have to come in for maybe a week or two where they have to be admitted, they have to make sure that they are able to withstand the surgery. Some of them, they physical health is so bad that they might need even blood transfusion. Some of them are very unstable hemodynamically, so they need to optimize them and make sure that they can outstand the operation and go through the the process. So we do that. And after surgery, that's where the, <laughs> where the work is because it's not just about correcting because some of these operations that we did are corrective surgery because my friend is an orthopedic surgeon. So we see people that have got fracture that's badly managed. Wow. Mm-hmm. You have people that have infection of the bones. And you know when you have those kind of infection, if it's not well treated and well, exactly. you can lose those limbs or legs, you know. Yes, so yeah. we have to go through rehabilitation as well because some of them ask good. Some kids have congenital problems that we corrected them and they have to go through process of learning how to walk properly. So we have physiotherapy as well involved session so um this year as well we've done about 20 people wow. which we still plan to do more oh, wow. so it's been um, rewarding to be honest mm-hmm. because we you can see you can see the impact is straight is direct impact that's the work that is do. it yeah we don't have of office anywhere we don't we're not paying anybody we're not paying any staff mm. so the money we use it straight away Mm. to the people directly. So, and then when you look at the medical attrition that we've had, I'm yeah. sure conveniently that we've touched over 10,000 people wow. through that over the years. So um, we've been getting some support from England. Yeah, there's uh, this charity organization called International Health Partners. Okay. So they, they, what they do is they, they, are, they are a charitable organization, but they're, they are based in England, so they 
get medication all over Europe. So they give it to doctors that can take it to developing countries like mm-hmm. Nigeria, more African countries and some yeah. Asian countries to treat people. So you need someone there's a doctor that has a clinic. Yeah. And then they can, they can be there to receive the medication when you take it over. Mm-hmm. Then you have to have a, write a report on how you're able to use the medication and should it be sold. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And should it be sold and all that. But you pay something. It's about 450 pounds you pay for them. Mm-hmm. They're using that as their own logistic and all that, you know, for charity work. Yeah, yeah. So they need to pay their staff. They have staff. They mm-hmm. pay another. So, yeah. but we've been getting medication for them from them for we've called I think about four or five times now. Wow. And they're very supportive. And we've talked about doing things on the larger scale with them in partnership with them when we have problems in Nigeria when the outbreaks. Mm-hmm. And they've they've been very receptive to that. So that's ongoing as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, mentioning all this, I didn't even realize that the impact um, Stenu Memora is making is um, this massive and big. And yeah. it, it actually also make me feel so proud because I'm also from Ijebu as well. Ijebu. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I am from Ijebu. <laughs> so it makes me feel so proud that, you know, people in that land are directly mm-hmm. impacted by this. So it's, um, it's mm-hmm. quite positive to see someone passionate about making a direct impact. And to be honest with you, um, medical outreach in Lagos, yeah. we've, we've done work in Luth, um, in psychiatry. We built the first seclusion unit in psychiatry hospital in Luth, a psychiatry department. So what we've done is um, we, we went to the authority and then and they were happy for us to do that. So the department gave us a place. And so we adapted that place to a seclusion unit. What a seclusion unit means is if somebody is agitated, very distressed, very disturbed, aggressive, you don't just put restriction by chaining them or using a rope to tie them down the bed, you know, very mm. crude way. Mm. You put them in this seclusion unit with the room we're padded. There's nothing they can use to awesome. harm themselves yet. Yes. So what you do then, you administer medication that will come then, then you put them there, then you have opportunity to assess them every couple of hours until they've come and then you can bring them out to the open world. Yeah. So we've done that to Luth and they, we have a policy on how to use the place. We we did that with the, one of the consultant psychiatrists. There is a friend of mine, Dr. Emeka Ogbolu. Mm-hmm. He also run a very laudable project about prevention of suicide in Nigeria as well. Mm-hmm. So some work in Luth as well. And we did some work in Abuja as well. I, I have a friend that works in Guarimpa General Hospital. Yeah. I went there. We did some work around um, education. We talked about just what we're saying. We talked about uh, how people can have psychiatric condition with physical health problems. Yeah. And we, we had a lot of doctors and the, uh, the team of nurses, everybody came. It was a lecture, it was brilliant, and then we, the feedback was good. That's good. And, and those are the kind of things that we're doing. So it's not only limited to the to Ijebu. And I was, I'm, I'm getting positive um, feedbacks and then, I'm seeing friends even from here that are non-Nigerian that are telling me, Femi, we'll be happy to go to Nigeria with you to help and then 
provide some capacity building in some areas where you want us and that's that's really uh, encouraging as well yeah yeah that's fun that's fantastic obviously from um apart from you getting you know help from this charity the international health you know with the uh, medicine and drugs you take back home to administer onto people how do you fund the work because obviously i do realize it's not just this medication you send back yeah you're gonna your your time for flying Mm -hmm. back and forth the Mm -hmm your uh, maybe friends colleagues and all that, mm. that would help with the surgery because it's not just one person's job that's right. how, how do you fund it financially and become sustainable <laughs> over the years to be honest with you um in terms of funding um so most of the funds are from myself and family over the years i've started having a few friends that are donating as well so we've never had any grant uh, maybe to be honest, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't lie about it. I've never applied for one before. No. I've never, it wasn't my intention to run a foundation. I just wanted to be giving back to the people. So maybe with time, we'll get there where we'll have people that can use all the materials that we have and present it to some organization that will be able to give us grants that we can use to impact more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know that um, there's opportunity out there to do more. Absolutely, yeah. In Nigeria, and then we just need to continue to educate our people, especially those in diaspora, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because personally, I've had friends, I have loads of them that are doctors, mm-hmm. and they're having a lot, they make a lot of money. But you just have to keep going when you believe in vision and if you have the passion. Because when you do a charity work, yeah, it has to be within you. You don't just start saying, I want to start giving. Mm-hmm. There's something that will have happened. Maybe you have a personal experience or it's just the way you are about the people. Or some people do charity work or NGO just because it's a work they want to do. It's a business for them. Yeah. yeah. And they make profit from it. Oh, that's, that's not my own yeah. Yeah, uh, reason for going into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know what? What you what you've just mentioned now, because um, obviously, with most of us who live in diaspora who are here, um, we a lot of people tend to focus on just me, myself, my immediate family. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Fine, your immediate family, your your spouse, your children, mm-hmm. they might be fine, but. You have extended family, whether aunties, uncles, cousins, who are still mm-hmm. back in Africa there, who are struggling terribly because of one thing. And mm-hmm. sometimes people, you just hear suddenly someone passed away, something happened. It's because maybe there hasn't been early diagnosed. You know, what is wrong with that has not been diagnosed early enough. That's and you've right. gone to the extreme such that by the time they do realize they want to do something about it, it's already too late. It's gone to the extreme. However, with people like us in diaspora, that you've now got the experience, you've got the exposure, you've got the knowledge, we need to start helping to build the continent. We need to start. We need to start giving back. You know, in any little way, we need to touch lives because. It's not just about yourself only. You mm-hmm. know, you've got families there. You've got cousins. You've got, and you want to. We need to make the world a much more, you know, happy place to live. Basically, that's, that's right. where that's the way I take it. I agree with you absolutely. Yeah. So, 
I think, like you said, we can be comfortable here. We think there's uh, brilliant health services for us. People can go into hospital, they'll be cared for here. Mm. But back home, we know it's a lot of challenges. Mm. We, uh, here in diaspora, we have loved ones back home. Mm-hmm. Especially if in our area of uh, expertise, even if it's education, health, technology, um, engineering, any way we can support, any way we can bring knowledge back to our people just to drive our economy and just to make things more um, more amenable for people to be honest because it's difficult the way when you is i think because of my own experience i get very uh, emotional and very personal with the way things are because i've I've been able to identify with a lot of people that are struggling and um we have about six uh, students in university now they they got the scholarship through state memorial foundation fantastic when they won our quiz competition they are doing very well in university they are like my own brothers and sisters now you know and we don't just give scholarship you every year we have to see what you're doing we have people that mentor you we have people that come to see how you're in school they talk to me on the phone they chat with me they chat with people so we're looking after them you know you become one big family and that's family outside my own me the family Mm-hmm. And that's the way the world should be. You care for other people because at the end of the day, it's such a small world. We don't know where our own kids might end. We don't know where we might be when we're old. Talking to a friend of mine, he's, a, he's, he's an Indian guy, British-born Indian guy. But, so he was telling me, and they're helping the economy. They're building good health services back home in India. Nigerians are going from India to get adequate care. Now they are going from Nigeria to India to get adequate care. Mm. They're going to South Africa. They're going to Ghana. Mm. But we have one of the best doctors everywhere, in, all, all over the world. All over the world, yeah. But people just get so comfortable abroad and they don't want to care about anything. And I was saying to people, most of the doctors, 90% of Nigerian doctors that are abroad, they study medicine, their first degree in Nigeria. Yes, yes. That's the thing. Yeah. So we've seen how difficult it's been. We've passed through the system. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way we should reflect and give back, to be honest. Yeah. And I think, um, I'm sure things will improve. We just need to, like what you're doing, Tutu is absolutely awesome because people can hear what other or Africans in diaspora are doing. And that can also be a... Uh, some some form of inspiration to other people. Absolutely. I tell people when I put something up on my Facebook about why I do standing with my foundation, I just think somebody, somewhere, I've got loads of friends that come back to me and say, oh, good job. How can I start it? But I've got like, let me know, let me, as I do, at least five that have come to me and said, how can, how can we do what you're doing? I said, okay, we can let me know. We can collaborate. I can tell you what I'm doing. But they've not come back to to do it. <laughs> but to be honest with you, it takes God's grace to be able to do this. I don't know how I do it. Do you understand? But I believe that is like being given uh, a mission to carry out. It's like having a ministry. Yeah. And you know that you have to serve people through this. You have to serve God. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been blessed with it. Yeah, and you know, in a, in addition to um, God's grace, mm-hmm. that individual, you also need to have that genuine 
passion, intention, yeah, your, passion, your yeah. new intention, okay. not that you want to benefit anything yeah, right. financially or, right. you know, publicity from it. You just want to do it because you want to touch lives. Mm-hmm. So if you have that as a primary reason why you're doing it, mm-hmm. that would that will continue to drive you and inspire you to just go and go and go and go and, right. and, and, do, and do more of it. And I think one of the key things which um, I'm hoping with this kind of conversation that we're we're having mm-hmm. we want to start seeing more collaboration between us you know between diaspora wherever whatever industry you are medical engineering mm-hmm. technology mm-hmm. you know banking whatever financial services collaborate and start giving back to the continent we need to mm-hmm. build, we need to build the continent as well to make mm-hmm. it a, a, a choice place for mm-hmm. people to want to visit and go to as well that's right yeah. So with the work you're doing in, in, in Steno Memorial, where yeah. do you see it in the next five years? Okay. And, and I think you've just touched on that. I, I see a lot of um, work in the area of collaboration with even uh, charity organization internationally and also in Nigeria. There are a lot of charity organizations in Nigeria that are doing their own work but they're limited in certain areas, but they have capacity in helping all the charity. So if two charity organizations come together, they can be able to use their scopes and do more. So I think that's area. In a couple of years, I think Stanley Mera Foundation, maybe I'm going to be taking a leave of absence uh, because I'm not just only... Uh, doing this, I'm also trying to um, mentor other people. I have young doctors that I say that are doing, that are very involved. They are the ones that actually organize the medical outreaches. Mm-hmm. So I just come in and bring all the resources and we'll do it together. So I just, well, obviously, we've done it. When you've done things over years, we've done it for eight years now. So they know what we do, how we do it, and every time we keep improving. Yeah. So I'm thinking, in the next five years, they will be doing more of that. I see us, Stenum Memorial Foundation, having a kind of clinic somewhere as well, which can be attached to other, you know, the teaching hospital in Ovo State. Yeah. And it can be run properly because they, then they can run, they can have doctors that are in training that can come there and they can help that community and be able to impact more. Obviously, it will be more. It will be more avo- affordable for the people because because it's it's charity, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Then at least people will know. Then we will make sure that even if it's a small clinic, if oxygen is needed, oxygen is there. If uh, antibiotics, we'll make sure it's well equipped. So that's one of the things we're looking at in the next couple of years. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And and I see that, that that would make a a great positive impact, you know, at least with the co- with the collaboration, it makes it much more um easier yeah. to reach a wider um population and touch more lives. Definitely. Especially when you collaborate with um big teaching hospital, for instance, if you have a clinic in Open State somewhere where I'm from or very close to uh Osut. Mm-hmm. Uh, stage where it's teaching hospital, so you know the doctors from there will post that to where where this clinic is, mm-hmm. and they will have um, training. It will be part of training, also research, and people will come there to get care from doctors that can give them adequate care. So, and another thing is we have a lot of doctors, you know, from graduating doing 
the youth call, uh, the one year compulsory. Uh, yeah, NYSC. NYSC. They, some of them don't work in, they don't have hospital to work as well because we have lots of doctors. So if we go to, if we go to um, NYC office, we can tell them where you have hospital, the doctors can come and learn and come and work. Mm-hmm. And they will come there as well. I'm sure maybe after they've finished their house job, some of them might decide to say, oh, I think I like this time, I want to stay. Yeah, That's why you can develop people, because if you encourage them, if you look after them, they because shortage of doctors is the primary thing, isn't it? When you don't have good leadership in health services, there's no doctor to lead that team. And that's why you have in like some villages is nurses that are opening a clinic and seeing their doctors. But we have to treat people, so people will come with some condition. They haven't got the adequate knowledge of it, but they're just now, this might be infection and they're treating it. But before they know it, it's, it's gone. It's a bit, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a bit complicated. Then they will now rush the person to the teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. And they will not, then, you know, it will be too late. If he's a doctor, he knows that this person needs to go to a tertiary institution as soon as possible. Yeah. So he make a referral because he knows that it's, it's above his pay grade. So that's how we think things might be in the next couple of years. Cool. It's great, great to know that. So, if you if you had to come across someone and um, yeah. they recently maybe relocated from Africa, uh, anywhere yeah. in Africa, um, Ghana, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, uh-huh. Nigeria, and they come yeah. in to the UK or maybe well, I'll say UK because you you've lived um, here for a yeah. while now, and they intend to work in the medical profession. What what advice would you give them, being that you've had experience of working back home? Your first um, initial degree was back home and you've also studied here and all that. What, what advice would you give? I just say that person should um, decide what they want to do to start with, what area of medicine they want to should they postgraduate. Then they have to make sure they know. Uh, they, have to, they have to make sure they, make, they continue to make contacts with wherever they've come from, whether Tanzania and Ghana and Nigeria, Malaysia, anywhere India, anywhere in the world, they make sure they continue to um, make contact back home so that they can they can uh, be more relevant. Because sometimes we, when we can reflect from where we're coming from, then is is a opportunity for us to know where we're going to as well. It gives us uh, more. Uh, it gives us more drive when you know that you're in a you're in a environment where things are structured, where things work. You've come from a place where there are a lot of dysfunctional services. So you know that things can work here. Then you won't take it for granted. You you'll be able to strive and achieve more. But at the same time it's always good to balance it and also not just get consumed with being in an environment that things work and you forget where you're coming from because I believe no matter what you achieve if you don't give to back to charity, I don't think it's a complete life to me. I think for everything you do, no matter how you've been able to achieve in life, you should also give back to those that have not had the opportunity yeah, yeah. that you've had. Yes, you're 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 right because uh, of course having having the opportunity, the exposure, that yeah. experience is key to um, give back to especially the community you've come out yeah. from, so you can be a source of inspiration for the upcoming right. ones as well. And uh, mm-hmm. 
help help them move move forward. So I know we we. Um, what we've talked about with your role as um, as a as a doctor, what you do with Steno Memorial, and of course, um, family life as well. So, how do you how do you balance? And uh, what what do you enjoy doing out, outside of work? I want to believe it's not work, work, work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do love traveling. Uh, just that when you travel to Nigeria, it's not holidays. It's not holiday. working holiday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> spend a lot of time with my boys. I have two boys. I have an adopted daughter as well. So I spend a lot of time family and also family. I used to, I, I love tennis, but I don't used to play it as much. But whenever we go on a family holiday with a friend of mine, we would play tennis together as well. And then just like um, meeting people as well, meeting mostly friends I've known for many years when we were growing up in Nigeria. When if the opportunity presents itself to see to see it in London, Manchester, anywhere in England, then we try to get together, especially when guys now eating forties and they are having party, you know. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So we try to use that to network so and try to talk about and that opportunity also give us that kind of uh gathering give us opportunity to also talk to friends as well and and colleagues likewise and just to tell them that what are we doing, what can we do back home? You know, we have group on uh, social media that yeah. we talk about. We have group of schools that we finish from. So you want to get back to that school. That's another way, a, area. And things that we do, for instance, things I do in Stenum Memorial Foundation, I put it on the group. So some guys will comment, some guys will get in touch with me and we talk about it now. Let's me talk. Let's talk about what you're doing. Let's see how we can help. And let's see how I can do that back home in my, in my own state. Or let's see what we can do in school. So those are the kind of social okay. interaction and gathering. And then obviously family holiday. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's great. It's great to know that. And, yeah. you know, with the um, earlier on um, the conversation, yeah. it mentioned about, you know, in, in passing that we see most of Australia, well, I know more of Nigerians, yeah. that, um, when there's a need for a medical um, a medical attention for something, we, yeah. we leave uh, Nigeria, we travel to India. But you yeah. see most Indians, when they come here, they got that experience. You see them going back home to you know, impact the community back home That's right. to help their health system improve. Mm. How do you, you know, based on your experience now, how do mm. you think, you know, we can make health, you know, the medical services more affordable for, you know, mm. a common Nigerian? I'm not talking of middle class or upper mm. class, like a common Nigerian to be able to be affordable. What do you think the government can do to make that, you know, readily available for everyone? Um, I think the first thing to do is uh, for our government to actually have a commitment to do that. You know, first thing the government have, the government has to be committed to provide adequate care for the people, adequate care for everybody. And does, if, if you walk through teaching hospital things have there's for instance if you go to Nigeria there's certain teaching hospital that they don't have a CT scan you know in a, in a huge teaching hospital there's certain basic things that you expect to have in hospitals so and a commitment has to come from government another area that we look need to look into is area of uh, uh, collaboration as well I've seen um, there's a there's one state and I'm not sure, no, I'm not guessing. I was in the north, a friend of mine, they had um, this 
um, collaboration with the state government. So the government, the state government built the hospital, a big hospital. So they gave it to some Nigerians. They are abroad, so they have custom. They have, a, they are, they're giving them the opportunity to run the clinic. Yeah, it's a whole another clinic, a whole hospital. So with the state government. So I don't know the arrangement, but I know it's arrangement with the state government. So with that, it's like a private and then states partnership. Yeah, at least you know that that resources will not go to waste because when government build things, we don't tend to maintain it adequately. But when is when we have a private partnership, they also look after those yeah. kind of um, resources. They look after those kind of area of government um, contribution because then government will say, "Oh, our answers of this, you have to." It's also people that are managing it, so they can be saying, "Our oh, government has to provide this and provide that all the time." Those people will be the one fronting it, and they will be able to continue to do what is right for the people. I think that's another way we can start building things. Anyway. I think we need a lot of education, to be honest. I think education is the key. Where our people need to start talking to, talking to the new generation of yeah. Nigerians yeah. and let them realize that, listen, this is your country. You have to love your country. You have to do the right thing for your country. This is where you live. We don't just want, because when we go to the secondary school and we do what we call career motivational talk. Yeah. We go to public secondary school. We talk to them. Yes. We tell the kids that, listen, you have opportunity to, to define your own future. and You need to start doing the writing now. You need to learn. You need to equip yourself with knowledge. Even if you're going to learn how to be a trader later or you want to be into fashion and design, but at least have the basic education now yeah. so that you'll be able to keep your own your finances in order. You'll be able to know on top of what you're doing in your businesses. Yes. Or you can just keep dropping out of school and not learn anything. So we've been talking to them that way. And also because there are a lot of other vices that are happening in a lot of secondary schools. Yeah. You know, we see young girls, 14, 15, they're pregnant because of poverty, because they can't give them daily money. Yeah. Well, they need a lot of education. Education. And a lot of to them. But we, I think people are, people are really trying now. Yeah. But we just need to keep encouraging ourselves. And then, and I think because the huge uh, opportunity that we have in Nigeria, especially the number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God! The youth, yeah, number is a lot. We we've got that. It's a lot, yeah, and that's what drive economy in everywhere in the world, in America, in India, in China. Mm -hmm. It's the number. It's the number. It's the amount of that you have that can work. Yeah, you know, amount of Mm. that power. So we need to start talking to them. Yeah. Education, your yeah, your yes, spot on, absolutely right. If you look at the population, we mm-hmm. we we have that you know that strong youth population. Mm-hmm. So we, we should actually be doing excellently. But if people have the right mindset, the right mm-hmm. education to give them, you know, that inspiration, um, yeah. we would definitely be moving on. Yeah. And then uh, no, another thing is that people don't have a lot of road role model. Role, role model yes, yes. Then, they don't have enough people to look up to yeah. that are doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. 
Hopefully, we with um, this kind of conversation and we start to see more collaboration um, between people, we start seeing that positive impact and um, then we start seeing that desired change we all long for and to see. And um, just just before we round up, because we're, we're close to the end now, um, being the first um, season um, recently, um, I launched the podcast. What is your reason um, why um, you've, um, you've accepted the invite you know, to come on, on the show? And what do you think about the idea of um, showcasing a positive narrative and how we can build the African continent? I think I've mentioned it. I've said what you're doing is excellent. It's awesome because it gives people opportunity to to um, get some inspiration from other people. I've listened to some of the uh, previous um, people that you've interviewed episode. Yeah, and like I was, I was, I was impressed as well. I got some inspiration from other people. What they've said, I've heard about their stories. So, you know, you can't but learn from people. You know. At different stage of your life, you when you hear other people's story, you look at yourself. I still have a long way to go. You know, it's not competition, but it just drives you as well. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it just gives you that extra fuel. Because sometimes, to be honest with you, especially from what I do, I know that sometimes you don't want to. You don't. I don't want to travel to Nigeria. Sometimes I just don't. Want, but when I think about the last person that I saw, when I think when why why I just. Chilling here, somebody just, I would just got a WhatsApp message and saying, doctor, somebody just came to the clinic today. Can you imagine the, the lady, that, the young girl that we operated on? They would send me a video or send me a photo of someone, a photo of someone that uh, got better with what we've done. You know, it just gives you more inspiration to do yeah. more. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing as well, as people are listening to you, people are hearing narratives from other people's life and what they're doing in their own field, it gives more, more, uh, more positive vibes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good thing. And before you know it, people will keep going and saying, "Oh, this is what happened." I listened to the podcast from Tutu Adimola, and uh, it was somebody that spoke there, and I got some inspiration from it, and that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you so much for the feedback. It's um, it's a great pleasure to have you, you know, on the show, and I've also learnt a lot as well from um, the conversation we've had today. And thank you for coming. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This is my first time I've ever speaking to anybody about what we're doing instead of Memorial Foundation, and I think uh, it's such an honour as well to be on here. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Africa Emerging Podcast with our guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show like I did. Please like Africa Emerging on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Overcast. Like, share and review. Your feedback is extremely important to me. It will help me improve content provided on the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word on how Africans are changing the world. It's time to build the African continent. Subscribe to our newsletter on africaemerging.com.